Hello, listeners. Before diving into today's episode, I wanted to share a few ways you can go deeper with the ideas I talk about in this podcast and support my work. The first is my book, The Pathless Path, which many of you have probably already heard about, but if you haven't purchased it already, I really think you'll love it. The second is The Pathless Path Community, which I just opened up as a one-time pay-what-feels-right access fee. And in that group, you can meet hundreds of other people from around the world on unconventional paths like me. Finally, I'm working on a second book tentatively called Good Work, which is going to explore my deeper relationship with work and how that led to a lot of the transformations in my life. You can follow along in my newsletter, Pathless, which you can also find a link to that in the show notes if you want to learn more about that. Without further ado, let's dive into the show. Welcome to the Boundless Podcast. I'm Paul Millard, and I created this podcast because I'm passionate about making sense of the future of work and having conversations with the innovators, creators, and thought leaders who are carving their path in today's fast-changing world. You can check out the podcast and more on boundlesspod.com. Today I talk with Connor Gillivan, who is the co-founder of FreeUp.com. He has been an entrepreneur since college, and his path is fascinating because he started building a business, selling products on Amazon, figured out how to do all that. But then, as he started using more and more freelancers in his business, realized that that was the next potential business he could start. He's really experienced in working with freelancers and now works with companies to help them tap into this market. This podcast will be really interesting if you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, founding your own business, or how you can use freelancers in uh, any aspect of your work. Shout out to all the people that have been listening. I've appreciated all the feedback and kind words and uh, keep it coming. Let me know how I can improve it and uh, create a better podcast. If you want to join the VIP Facebook group to join the discussion and talk about the future of work and carving your own path in the world, check it out in the show notes. Apply, join, join the discussion, share your ideas. Looking forward to that. And then if you want to support on Patreon, you can do so for only a dollar a month, which uh, is pretty cheap. But you can check that link out in the show notes as well. Thanks again and enjoy the pod. Welcome to the podcast today. Hey man, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. It's good. So I'm looking forward to diving into your story. You started carving your own path earlier than most, uh, building an e-commerce business in college. Also led you to learning how to work with freelancers and building a business around that. And super excited to pick your brain on that topic and uh, where you see things going. So we'll dig into all that, but I'd love to just start with where you were when you were starting college, what you were thinking about in terms of the paths you might take at that point? Yeah, great question. And I, I think everyone going into college has their, their preconceived notions of right. where you might end up. But, um, you know, it, it always changes as you go along. But so I was I was actually exposed to entrepreneurship at a pretty young age. My first job was actually working with my cousin who had started his own freelancing business. So at the age of 14, I started working with him during the springs and the summers and and then breaks during high school and college. 
And over the years, I saw him build his business from nothing into something that allowed him to buy his first apartment, buy his first home, start his family, get married, and go through all of these these major steps in his life, all afforded by his business. And so from that initial experience, I, I was always geared towards entrepreneurship. I was interested in it. So when I was going into college, that was definitely an option for me. I was, I was going into a business school to study all the different aspects of business that I didn't know about yet. And so that was kind of a, a thought. Um, and then, I mean, th- there was always the thought of, of possibly going into a, a corporate job, but it was definitely something I was less interested in. Right. Yeah. So, so you saw different options earlier. What kind of freelance bills, business was he building? Yeah. So he, it was, uh, it was a landscaping company. So he, he was just going around and had clients, uh, first just in his immediate area. Um, you know, and if you want to compare it to a freelancing business, he was just pretty much offering his services as a landscaper to these clients. Um, you know, adding on other services as he was growing. And then he eventually built out a team of people that helped him take on more jobs, helped him take on more projects and was able to increase his income that way. Got it. So entering Quinnipiac where you went to school, really good school, you're entering the business school. And I mean, I went to business school in undergrad and a lot of things are just geared towards going to a certain number of jobs. Right. Uh, did, <laughs> did you have trouble trying to make sense of that? Were people saying maybe you should do this and kind of questioning uh, what you should do? Yeah, of course. I mean, like you said, I think most business schools are geared towards placing their students into a a corporate job, a full-time job. Um, And then especially as you're a freshman and a sophomore and you're figuring out how to declare your major, they're pushing you towards summer internships as well. Um, And again, mainly within larger corporations so that then that could eventually turn into a, a full-time job for you. So I had a lot of those influences from the career center, from professors, and just from students who were also going down that path. And it, it, it definitely had some impact on me, and I explored those options. But I, I, I again, I always kept looking for those entrepreneurial activities that I could get my hands on. Yeah, so one ended up emerging. Uh, tell me how AIM played a role in your first uh, venture starting. <laughs> Yeah, of course. So AIM, I mean, it was the best messaging system back when we were in college, I think. Um, and it came up, that's how I actually met my first business partner, who I continue to work with today. So about nine years later, we're still working together. But we were in the same business law class, uh, sitting a couple rows apart from each other. And I had recently been introduced to him through uh, another uh, group of friends or a mutual friend. And I heard that he was starting a business, buying textbooks back from students, and then selling them on the Amazon marketplace. And I knew that he was looking for some people to help him out. So I AIM'd him. I asked him, I asked him more about the business and asked if I could get involved. And that's really where my that next entrepreneurial activity came up. And um, I dove into that pretty quickly, and, and we ended up building a, a pretty large business from it. So it was, it was funny that it happened just sitting in a class while we were both distracted and not paying attention. But um, awesome that it, that it ended up working out that way. Yeah. And how did that relationship evolve? I mean, obviously it is a good relationship. You're still working with him, but, uh, how did that start and how did it, uh, grow and evolve? Yeah, of course. So it took a lot of time. We, like I said, when I first reached out to him, I hardly knew him. We had a few mutual friends. Um, but we had, a, we had to learn a lot about each other in order to work together. 
And we had a lot of differences too. And today the, those really complement each other. But when we were first starting to work together, one of the biggest things was he was much more of a, a short term thinker. So he was trying to figure out the day to day activities. And then I was a much longer term thinker. So I was taking the business model and trying to create a vision of three to five years down the line. And we just didn't align in a lot of places. So in those first couple of years, there was a lot of learning. There were some arguments. There were some conflicts. Um, but being able to work through those together and, and respect each other's opinion, that's what's allowed us to, to get to such a great place today. And uh, I'm really grateful to have gone through it with them. I'm just curious, Did you, as that was starting to succeed, did you ever think about uh, leaving college? Um, no, we, we never had that as an option. Um, that's, a, that's a good question because I know it's, it's become more mainstream to do yeah. that today. Um, but for us, we, we had both always been raised that education was super important. Right. And, and we both actually valued the classes we were going through and saw how we could apply them to growing the business. So that wasn't an option for us, uh, while we were building the business. So he, he graduated and then you graduated. You guys start working on this full time. What are you guys focusing on at that point? And, uh, where, where are you, uh, directing all your energy? Mm hmm. Yeah, so after we both graduated, we actually ended up moving down to Orlando, Florida. Um, we had a, a third co-founder of the business, and he had been accepted to an MBA program at Rollins College, which is in right in Orlando, Florida. And so the three of us decided to move down there, and we also had a, a couple other guys, uh, friends from college who were working with us on the business, who we convinced to move down with us. So there were about five of us that moved down to Orlando, Florida, Wanted a new lifestyle, wanted some new weather. Um, you're from the Northeast, so you know how brutal it can get in the winters. <laughs> and so we were just looking for something new. Um, and at that time, we we had uh, we had stopped selling textbooks, and we had started to drop ship a lot of uh, toys, baby products, and home goods because Amazon was really starting to capture the mom and dad market of the United States. Right. And so that's where we were spending a lot of our time. We were finding new products that we could drop ship, creating relationships with those suppliers, and then starting to hire freelancers and other part-time workers to help us run the operations and growth of the company. So definitely want to dive into the freelancers, but what were some of the challenges you faced mm -hmm. uh, in the first couple of years of starting that business? I mean, it must have been a ton of learning at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So one of the bigger hurdles at first was just learning Amazon itself. So Amazon <laughs> can this, change the rules at any time, <laughs> at any time. Right. Exactly. So they have their 10 pages or so of seller guidelines that you have to follow. They have metrics that you have to meet in order to keep selling on Amazon. Um, and then, like you said, they'll add in other things every year just to make things a little bit more difficult. So that was one learning process. Um, and then one of the bigger hurdles as we were first reaching out to manufacturers to work with them was just uh, building a reputation, so to speak. So right. when you're trying to work with a brand, they'll usually ask for supplier references. And when you're just getting started, you don't have any. So it's hard to create relationships with even medium sized brands. So for the right. first six months to a year, we were working with a lot of smaller brands and just kind of building up a reputation and building out, you know, our sales pitches and how that whole process worked. So that, that was a, a huge learning experience. But once we got it to a good point, we were able to go after some of the larger brands and work with them and create good relationships. But that was a, that was a big learning point. 
Love it. So you got to the point where you started to think about scale. How do you start thinking about freelancers? And I imagine there were probably some missteps at the beginning. Uh, I've worked with freelancers. It's definitely a challenging uh, thing to get right. But um, how did you start venturing into uh, that whole world? Oh, yeah. So so we didn't know much about it uh, until we were introduced to this whole world of outsourcing by another entrepreneur that we had met in Orlando. He was building a business and had been for a few years. And he started tapping into freelancers from the Philippines and from India and from even some people from the United States. And he told us about a website called Odesk, um, which is now Upwork.com, which is one yep. of the larger platforms. And he he actually introduced us to one of the freelancers that he had been working with, which was really nice. So he knew that they were doing well and they had some extra hours. So we worked with them and, and had a good experience and were interested to to try to take other tasks off our plate and find freelancers that could help. And so we started using Upwork to post jobs and get applicants and go through the interview process. But like you said, this is something that we hadn't done before. So we ran into a lot of roadblocks. We hired people and they just disappeared. We hired right. people and they couldn't communicate. We hired people and they didn't have the skill sets they said they had. So I think over the course of about two years, we hired close to 100 people, but had to fire about 50 of them um, just because of our, our lack of experience in interviewing and hiring. <laughs> right. Are you still working with any of those original freelancers that you worked with? So we are. We I've been I have a few that we've been working with for over six years now, um, which is awesome. And like I said to you earlier, we we just had our first trip ever to the Philippines and we were able to meet some of those people. So worked with them online for six years and finally met them in person. It was a really cool experience. How did that evolve into something you thought about uh, setting up a business to basically vet and help people uh, use freelancers? Yeah, sure. So like I said, for about two years, we were trying to build up this team of freelancers and we were using sites like Odesk and Elance and Freelancer.com and Fiverr.com. And we were going through a, a very similar process on all these platforms where we would post a job, we'd get 10 to 15 freelancer applicants. We'd try to vet out the ones that we thought would be best. We'd interview maybe three to five of them. And then we try to make the best hire at the end of the day. And sometimes it would work out. But like I said, there were a lot of times where it just didn't work out and we ran into a lot of turnover. So we were very frustrated by that. We were frustrated by the amount of time we were using from our day to interview and try to hire these people. And so we wanted to create a better solution. And after about three years of doing this, we had come up with a, a pretty strong interview and vetting process. And so we said, Let's try to create a marketplace where uh, e-commerce businesses, and today it's expanded into a lot of other online businesses, but those types of companies can hire people without having to go through that interview and vetting process. They just get introduced to the top 1% of people that apply through our marketplace. And so that's really what led us into that, that situation and how we started to think about it. So what drove wanting to start that business? Was it also just uh, looking for a new challenge, a new type of uh, way to learn and grow personally? Yeah, there were there were a couple of factors. One was that, like I said, we were just very frustrated and we wanted a better solution. We saw that other business owners were frustrated by the current processes too. And then the second one was that 
we had built up the Amazon business to a good level. Um, we were, we were doing a good amount of revenue each year. We had a lot of relationships, but what we eventually realized as business owners was that there was eventually going to be a ceiling with Amazon being that they were always in final control. Right. So, you know, we, we had gotten up to around $10 million in revenue per year. Um, but you know, if we wanted to go higher, Amazon at any time could say, you know, we don't, we don't want you to be selling on our marketplace any longer. You know, there's these special rules that you haven't followed X, Y, Z. And so we wanted to eventually de-risk that and build a business where we had control over the brand, we had control over its future, and we could really grow with it in the long term. So I think that was another factor that went into starting to put some time towards free up and away from the Amazon business. And no, that definitely makes sense. I think uh, having that single point of failure must have been uh, a lot of anxiety. Yeah, for sure. And <laughs> And we had a we had a good amount of overhead. We had some full time people. We had all these right. part time people. So um, it, it was uh, towards getting a lot bigger. We were we were always kind of worrying about that. So we were always looking for a, a new type of business model that could maybe move us away from that. So I'm curious about that too. Having people that are working for you, relying on you to pay their salaries, cover their benefits. You also have freelancers across the world who are depending on you. Mm-hmm. How? How do you think about that? I mean, I'm guessing at the beginning you weren't thinking about building a business. You were just thinking about kind of being entrepreneurial. So how how has that thinking evolved for you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's evolved a lot. I mean, when we first started getting into it, I think our initial instinct was we're at a place now where we need people to help us. Let's hire full-time employees. Um, I think that was kind of the freelancing wasn't as big of a deal or as big of an industry eight years ago when we were getting rolling with this. And so that was kind of the initial thought. We went through that experience. We had an office. We had full time people. We saw what that dynamic looked like. And then we got into the whole world of freelancing and outsourcing. And we just realized how much more efficient everyone's time could be when you have specific people working on very specific tasks within the business that they specialize in and they really enjoy doing. Um, And it's allowed us to really save on overhead. It's allowed us to be more efficient with our time and with their time. And then it took time, but we were able to build a remote culture as well where everyone is still connected. Everyone's communicating at a good level and there's still values and a mission and vision, uh, but it's not necessarily in an office where people are interacting on a day-to-day basis. That's yeah, awesome. so so it's really changed, you know, is hey, let's build a full-time team to let's just have a completely remote team and that's what we are today. So what tell me a little bit about those uh mission and values. What are they and uh mm-hmm. how did they evolve? Yeah, sure. So with Free Up our our mission has always been uh very simple, right? We want to help more freelancers build their own freelancing business um and face less competition in in the marketplace. So on a lot of these other platforms, they're competing with millions of other freelancers. Right. And then on the client side, we wanted to make hiring simpler for them online. So instead of spending hours recruiting, interviewing, vetting, and trying to find the best people, we kind of remove that for them. And then on the back end, we try to save them time by uh, decreasing turnover for their business. So those are that's kind of the, the main things that we're focused on as a company. And then, you know, the mission is also just to, to push the freelancing industry forward. We're, we're both big believers in it, and we hire people who really see a future for it. And so that's, that's where we're always heading. We're trying to move it forward, trying to get a lot of progress in that industry. 
Yeah, so I'd love to hear your perspective on that, the freelancing economy. I, I think it has... It has grown so much, and I've relied on it a lot as a freelancer myself and just using uh, people for different tasks from across the world. And I think there's some enormous positive things, but also some huge challenges. What are you seeing in terms of uh, the upsides versus some of the challenges? Yeah, definitely. So upsides, I mean, it allows people to be more entrepreneurial, I think, just in their, their work life, and it gives them more control over how they're building their career. So instead of going to work for a, a nine to five for 40 years, like, you know, some generations before us may have done and was more of the norm. People now at the freelancing industry have more of an option to specialize within a skill set that they're passionate about and then try to find clients that they can offer their services to. So from our experience with, with people from the Philippines, um, one of the major reasons they move towards it is because they want more time to spend with their family. They're a very family-driven culture. So if they can be at home with their family and be more hands-on, that's huge for them. And then um, they also, just from you know learning from them, is they can actually earn a, a better income just freelancing because they can work more, they can control their rates, they can work with different clients. So I would say those are kind of the upsides of, of things with freelancing. And then, you know, downsides, I think one of the, the biggest challenges that it's facing around the world right now is the really the laws and regulations around it. Right. So especially within the U.S., it's like, is someone an employee or is someone an independent contractor? And the laws that the IRS has were made about 100 years ago before freelancing was really a thing. So they're starting to go through some challenges of how to identify that and how to tax those types of people and I think it's similar in these other more developing countries where they're seeing freelancing emerge and they don't even know what it is still. So they're trying to figure out how to handle it and how to manage it as a country and, and in terms of their economy as well. Right. And as you're seeing, I mean, freelance is emerging around the globe. I I think a lot of people understand why it's such an upside for people in countries like the Philippines. They can make wages on a pretty mm -hmm. good rate from people from the U.S. who are willing to pay it. But uh, what, what are you seeing in the U.S.? I mean, is is it still make sense for many, many people to becoming freelancers in the U.S. now? Or is it just so hard to compete globally? Yeah, good question. I think it still does make sense. And I mean, according to studies right now, I think freelancing is around like 25% of the workforce in the U.S. right now, but they're expecting it to, to get all the way up to 50% over the next 10 years. So I think as businesses become more aligned with it and comfortable hiring and managing freelancers, there's going to be more opportunities coming. And then on the freelancer side, you know, it's, it's not something that you can just jump into and, and start making money right. overnight. It is still a challenge. You are very much starting your own business and being an entrepreneur. So it's not for everyone. But if you do it correctly, if you take it very seriously, it's definitely something you could turn into a, a full-time income for yourself. So what are some things that either business owners, companies, or freelancers like myself should be thinking about hiring a freelancer for that we're not currently doing? Yeah, good idea. Um, there's a lot, <laughs> right? So it depends on it depends on your business model. Um, if you're a freelancer, what I always like to encourage people is once they reach their hourly max themselves, so let's say you want to work 50 hours per week, 
and you reach a point where you filled all your 50 hours with clients, right. you shouldn't necessarily stop there. You can always, you know, turn your freelancing business into an agency, so to speak, bring on other talented freelancers that are maybe getting started or looking to, to bring on new clients, but are having trouble getting there. You bring them under your umbrella, you pass clients to them, you as the owner take some sort of percentage or, you know, you, you charge up on their rate somehow. Um, and you can continue to build your business that way. So that's kind of a, a way to think about who you could be hiring if you're an actual freelancer. And of course, it depends on your skill set, right? What about specific tasks like our mm-hmm. graphic design, mm-hmm. form editing? What are sure. some of the more specific ones that are just like mm-hmm. amazing for hiring freelancers? Yeah, agreed. So uh, we've seen a lot of success hiring people for social media. So from our experience, it it takes a good amount of time to run your social media content and campaigns on a day to day basis, especially if you're working across, you know, four or five social media channels. Right. So we have someone that that runs all that for us. And I I still work directly with them. But having them in place working two, three, four hours a day on our social media marketing, that's been a huge help to us. Um, Another one that's big that we always talk about is bookkeeping. So as a freelancer or a business owner, you you might not have the time or you may hate doing accounting for your business. So right. hiring a bookkeeper that can make sure that your books are up to date every month and send the right reports into the government if that needs to happen for you. Um, there's a lot of talented people out there who just love bookkeeping and you can hire them into your business. So that's another great skill set to have. And uh, one that we saw a lot of success with as well is um, customer service or customer support. So if you run a business that has a lot of people reaching out to you, asking questions or looking for follow-ups on certain things, it's hard as a business owner to stay tapped into those emails or phone calls on a day-to-day basis. And having someone on, on certain shifts throughout the day that can help you in that area can be really useful as well and allow you to stay focused on what you do best. In running free up. What are some of the unexpected opportunities that have emerged um, from just starting that business, getting it out there, starting to work with freelancers and companies using this platform? Yeah, good question. So when we started in the first year, we were mainly focused on working with Amazon sellers because that's where our background was and our expertise was. But over the first year of working through it and working with those types of businesses, we really understood that there was an opportunity to work with a, a large amount of businesses. So uh, it was about, after about a year that we really expanded into all of e-commerce. So people that were building Shopify stores or, you know, WooCommerce stores or Magento stores, we saw a lot of opportunity there and people were really looking for experts. And then over the past about year and a half, we found a lot of agencies like digital marketing agencies or SEO agencies or even web development agencies that that we're looking to grow and take on more staff. We have good relationships with them and they also actually find clients through us as well because they're always looking for new projects. So it's kind of like a a double dip situation, which is great. Right. And then, uh, and then we've also found a lot of success just with solopreneurs. So coaches, speakers, mentors, people that are working with entrepreneurs in some fashion. Um, and they want to spend their whole time working directly with their clients you know, they'll hire people for, like I said, you know, social media or bookkeeping or email marketing or really things to keep 
clients coming in while they stay focused on their actual clients. Where do you see things headed uh, for your business? What are you focused on over the next uh, three to five years? I mean, it's almost Mm -hmm. an impossible question, right? Because everything's (laughs) going to change so much. So, I mean, feel free to answer in the next six months, but where do you (laughs) see things headed with this? Yeah, of course. So we're, we're always focused on three things and we like to keep things simple when it comes to planning. Uh, because like you said, things are always changing. So as a, as a business owner and even as a freelancer, you always have to be adjusting. You have to read the market and see what's going on. But our three things that we're always focused on is, um, finding more potential businesses that could be interested in freelancing. Um, and that's, you know, educating them with content about freelancing kind of what we're talking about today and showing them that it is a possibility and then showing them that we can offer them great freelancers. The second is getting more top talent. So as we've been talking, freelancing is just growing all over the world and it's our job to get in front of them and and really bring them into this community that we're creating. And then the third is just to always um, improve the experience. So we have our own software that both clients and freelancers use and with the, the people that we're competing against, you know, they're, they're putting a lot more money and a lot more time into their software. So we're always right. trying to improve that as well. Um, and so those are the things we're focused on over the next three to five years. Our, our goal is really just to keep growing. We want to build a, a really large community, a really large marketplace that's offering hundreds of different services from freelancers and that's catering to thousands of businesses. Um, we don't really have specific goals set that far out yet. Um, by the end of this year, our goal is to bill around 20,000 hours per week um, to freelancers. Wow, that's amazing. So you work with a lot of companies, and you probably have found, as I have, that people are just so used to hiring full-time people, especially mm-hmm. in the U.S. It's so tied to let's hire somebody and just have them do the same thing over and over again. Right. How do you shift the mindset to getting or getting a company to kind of experience what working with a freelancer is like or just getting them to uh, try that out for the first time? Yeah, good question. So our advice is to those types of companies is that they, they should always explore other options. There's definitely advantages to hiring an independent contractor over a full-time employee. Um, I mean, when it comes to cost savings, you can – you can really be more efficient when you're hiring a freelancer and control your budget more than when you're hiring a full-time employee. Right. And then, of course, you pay less in taxes and benefits and you know healthcare and all, all the other things that go into a full-time employee. And so our advice is always to start slow. So if someone's really weary about it and they're all towards the full-time employee, find one task within your business that takes a couple of hours every day or every week. Try out a freelancer, start working with them, see how it goes. And really see how that experience is. Um, compare it to the full-time employee and, and, and kind of make your judgment call then. But you have to kind of see both sides before you can just know which one is the best for your business. Right. That's great. Um, and what, what are some of your biggest personal challenges now in terms of how you're spending your time, trying to figure out where to focus? Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like you're probably dealing with a lot. Um, you're, yeah. you're trying to manage the technology, the experience, freelancers, companies. Mm-hmm. How do you think about where you spend your time on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, it's a great question, and it does become overwhelming at certain times. My business partner and I, we meet on a weekly, multi-weekly basis, 
And we always try to put things at the top of our priority list. So he works very closely with the clients, freelancers, and, um, and our development team. So we're always prioritizing projects on that end that he'll then handle for that week and we check in the following week. And then myself, I'm handling most of our marketing content, advertising, partnerships, relationship building. So we're always kind of figuring out what is the, the next plan in the next week, the next month for those areas. And then we continue to prioritize. Um, but I mean, right now I have a, a list of 10 things that are top priority for us, but of course they all can't get done at the same time. So we're always trying to figure out, you know, what is going to make the biggest impact, uh, you know, if we work on it today rather than working on it tomorrow. So it's always a, it's always a balancing act pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. So you say you're driven by making a positive impact on others through the companies you build. Mm. What, what does that mean to you? Making a positive impact? Absolutely. So making some sort of change in, in that person's life. Um, and so on the freelancing side, it's, it's very clear. So, um, we, we have about 900 freelancers in the marketplace. Last year, we paid out over $3 million to the freelancers that used us to find clients. Um, and we're really, we're really helping them to build a, their own business and to live a life that is more under their control. And so to me, that's, that's making a positive impact on them, whether it's they get to spend more time with their family, they're earning an income that they're more passionate about, or that they're just, you know, they're not working for a job that they don't enjoy doing. So there's, there's an impact there. And then on the business side, we're also connecting them with very talented people so that they're able to build their business faster. And when they can build their business faster, they may free up more time so they can vacation more or spend time with their family. Um, and all these other kind of residual effects of, of us, our marketplace helping them. So that's kind of how I, I view that making that greater impact on people is making some sort of change in their lives. What advice would you give to somebody in college or even early career right now who's thinking about, <laughs> okay, maybe I want to follow a different path? Good question. Um, advice. You, it's going to be hard, right? So, um, the advice is that if you're going to do it, fully commit to it and, and really give it a shot. Um, I think personally, I mean, I did it. I took some challenges and some risks when I was young in my early 20s. Um, and I think they really paid off. Even if the business hadn't grown to the level that it was, I would have learned lessons that I don't think I would have been able to learn in a, a regular job if I had just gone there after college. Right. And um, yeah, so my advice is, is figure out if it's the right thing for you. And then also create a, a plan that you can stick to. Um, I would say as you're, you're first getting started with a entrepreneurial endeavor or becoming a freelancer, uh, coming out of college or even younger, you're, you're figuring out what the, the workforce is like. You're figuring out what that, uh, your workday looks like. So come up with a regiment, stick to it. Uh, make sure that you surround yourself with some smarter people that have done it before so you can ask them questions and get advice from them. Um, and set milestones. So if, if your goal is to reach a certain income after year one and you're just completely off by the end of that year one, you may have to look into other options and, and go down other channels. But you, if you're going to go for it, at least give it a give it six months to a year to see if it works. Yeah, definitely. I find uh, I talk to people who want to become freelancers or toying with this and people just want that stability right away and mm. almost taking this different path is almost committing to the instability 
right. a longer <laughs> period. So I always tell people when they're trying to take the leap to uh, pick at least like I almost say like 12 months. Just say I'm all in because that mindset shift is going to uh, help you think about things and opportunities in different ways. Yeah, totally agree. And and going off of that too, I think it's always smart to, when you're just getting started, specialize in one thing, right? So even if you're a jack of all trades, get get great at one thing and really offer that to clients. And if you can do that, they'll they'll really be able to find value in you, and and they won't be able to leave you very quickly if they depend on you for something. Right. What are you great at? <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good question. I am a little bit of a jack of all trades, um, but I'm always looking to develop my skills. My biggest thing I would say is my is content. I'm great at developing content, whether it be for a website or um, you know writing for publications, things along those lines. Uh, I'm good at capturing an audience by writing and, and creating content. I like it. Uh, so you mentioned you like to surround yourself with smarter people. Mm. Who have been some of the mentors or uh, influences that have helped shape your thinking? Yeah, great question. And I think this is a, a huge part of being a freelancer, just going out on your own and building something. Um, when we first moved to Orlando, I I was just reaching out to people through LinkedIn. I, I found entrepreneurs and business owners and venture capitalists that had been in business for a long time. And, you know, you reach out to 10 people, you may get a response from one. That's that's fine. You just have to be OK with it. And I, I brought a bunch of people out to coffees. I'd, I'd bring them out to lunch. And I ended up creating a group of about five people, entrepreneurs and business owners that were just interested in my story and interested in my grind. And they were always there. Um, you know, they're not someone that you talk to every day, but when you have a, a really hard thing going on within your life or within your business, you can call them, you can ask for their advice. And I found it to be super helpful. So um, they've mainly been CEOs of companies and, and also some venture capitalists. Um, and, and I continue to do that today, just building my network to, to meet smart people. What books or even podcasts? I'm uh, asking people podcasts as well because uh, yeah. I feel like people aren't reading as much. But what book or podcast has influenced you a lot in the last year? Mm. Uh, so one I just listened to this past year is called um, the Dig- Digital Marketing Podcast by Neil Patel and um, Eric Sue. And it's, I mean, they go into everything that you can imagine about digital marketing from SEO to partnerships to social media to email marketing. And they, they're really quick podcasts. So they're between eight and 15 minutes long and they just pack in information and give you tools that you can use and give you advice that you can really try out within your business. So I've loved that one. I, I listen to it when I'm running, when I'm exercising, if I'm in the car, it's been a really easy one to get through episodes and then have notes that you can go back to afterwards. So I definitely recommend that to anyone trying to get into marketing. Awesome. And I will uh, link that one up. What ask do you have for people or where can people find more about you? Sure. So my ask is if you're a freelancer, give freeup.com a look, um, you know, check it out, see if it could be an option for you to find clients. And if you know anyone, if you're not a freelancer or a business owner, if you know anyone that you think we could help, refer them over to me. Um, I'll give you a link to my calendar so people can set up a call with me if they have questions or even just want to shoot shoot some situations off of me. I'm happy to chat with them. Um, so that's going to be the best way to get in touch with me, but also give you my email, I'll give you my social media handles, and 
Um, I'm, I'm pretty responsive. I love getting in touch with freelancers and business owners to hear their story and see if there's any way we could team up. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the uh, story today, Connor. I learned a lot. I'm looking forward to uh, potentially uh, using or reaching out to you for uh, freelancers in my own work. But uh, thank you for uh, sharing and uh, best of luck. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. This has been an incredibly fun experiment for me, and I'm loving talking to such incredible guests. I've received some awesome feedback, and I appreciate all the suggestions and just the praise. I'm kind of blown away. Uh, It's just so amazing to have such positive support. I hate asking for further support, but would love if you could share or recommend the podcast to one friend. If you are inclined to support more, I've actually set up a Patreon page, which I am experimenting with and potentially going to release some exclusive content and with the goal of building a community of people who are passionate of making sense of the future of work and enabling people to do work that matters to them. To learn more, you can check that out at bondlesspod.com. Again, thanks for the support. And if you have ideas, questions you want me to answer on a future Q&A podcast, or just suggestions, we'd love to hear them all. Please email me at paul at think-boundless.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. I really appreciate the support and especially always love when people reach out letting me know what they think about the specific episodes. If you want to go deeper into Pathless Path World, you can, of course, check out my book. It's sold. It's going to hit 50,000 soon. I think by the time you're hearing this, it will probably have already sold 50,000, which is mind-blowing. But I continue all the support of people that buy and share the book. If you want to meet others on Pathless Paths, I have a community, which you can find at pathlesspath.com membership, and you can join and meet hundreds of others around the world trying to make sense of weird paths and meeting others along the way. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good day.